0: I never I remember I never I never I never I remember I Welcome to Behind the DM Screen for December of 2020. We are three DMs helping each other out and talking about our games and not necessarily in that order. uh, Man, I didn't do it in the right order. Oh well, who cares? Uh, With uh, me as always, I am Jeff, and with me as always is Mike. Mike, say hello. Hello. And Sam. Hello. And we are talking about our games All right, so 15 minutes on the clock. I am up first this time around, so I get to tell you about my game. Um, I mentioned while we were streaming, but um, before the recording, that I haven't actually played my my main game. I call it my main game. Um, I'm running two full campaigns, but one of them is for my kids, so I don't know. It feels like the beta campaign. um, but I've, uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've played my main game for for very good reasons. But a lot happened since we've t- chatted last uh, in that they were tromping through Castle Ravenloft. Um, I think that's where we left off last time, as they were getting ready to go into the castle, or they had just gone to the castle. Um, now they, they spent two whole sessions in the castle. Um, they went all the way up, took out the heart... Went through the witch's chamber, and and, and I I brought in some stuff to make it real. Like I had all of the things that had been stolen from them through the course of the adventure in that place. Uh, And at one point, they stayed uh, in the Vistani camp overnight, so I, I... Said that the Vistani stole like hairs from each of them as well. So there was a little vial in the witch's ritual room with each of their names on it, with just a few little hairs, and that creeped them the heck out. Right? Um, that is creepy. Yeah, the, the witch fight is like super easy. Those witches are like what CR three. Um, so they're, they're, that the fight with them isn't wasn't the big deal. Um, and then they work their way down. One of the characters, one of the players, I should say, um, has enough of a, of a memory uh, of the map that he's like, OK, I think we're kind of in this place. So if we go there and then down these stairs and then go over that way, we'll be back in the basement. Like he, <laughs> he like had the whole map. And he was right. He had the whole map memorized through places that he had never been before. Um, and then the next session... They got to the basement. And that's where we finished the session. The next session, um, I had Strahd try to pull some tricks. He tried to charm somebody that has taken a dark gift and can't be charmed at the moment. Um, he he um, threw out some um, some spells to mess with them when they were in like the torture chamber room. He threw a maelstrom out to, to make life difficult for him, just try, try to whittle him down a little bit. Uh, and then they got to the catacombs, which is kind of the fun part of the basement, right? It's it's the 70 different little crypts and they each have fun little um you know placards on them that talk about who it is and and what have you there's a time traveler in there and there's ghosts to interact with and there's all kinds of fun stuff to find and to deal with um and one of the players was like oh we should go and search through all this stuff and make sure there's there's nothing useful in there uh and a couple of other players were like, yeah, we should totally do that, but we should probably focus on the crypts that look important. They're going to have the best stuff. The first crypt they went to then was Sergei's crypt, which is where Strahd is for the final fight. <laughs> right? So they trigger the final encounter before they had a chance to go through and like loot all the all the other crypts. Um, and they and and it was a challenging fight. I I added a lot to the fight cuz they were level 12 or 13 at that point. Um and so they were a little higher level on the higher level end of it things. Strahd is not they've got the holy symbol. They've got uh the sun sword. Um they've got the Esmeralda's on, on her way and she's going to show up partway through the fight whenever that is to to join them. Uh, and so, I mean, they're going to wipe the floor with Strahd. So I worked up a way to try to make it a little more challenging. Um, I, I slightly increased his hit points. Not much, actually. Um, hmm. But I I completely revamped his spell list. And I gave him the ability to have the castle itself concentrate on three of his spells for him. Oh, Wow. So he could have four concentration spells going at once. Which uh, ones
1: did he? Which ones did he do? Uh,
0: and so he did um, shadow moil because it gave him resistance to radiant. Okay. Uh, he gave him. Uh, he got um, um, greater invisibility, right? Uh, he threw out uh, anti life shell, and I forget what the fourth one. Oh, uh, confusion maybe. Hmm. So I mean uh, mostly defensive, mostly it was it was him like I'm gonna spider climb up to the corner of, on the wall here, turn myself invisible so you can't counter any of my spells because you can't cast counter spell on something you can't see. Uh, and then I'm just gonna do all these things and these uh, the way I, I described it was these little, red glowing orbs kept appearing in sort of that corner where he was so they could attack the red orbs i I was gonna say
1: was there a way to bust it? yeah so i gave
0: gave him like 25 hit points or 50 hit points and an easy ac so they could have if they tried it they could have done that and they did eventually figure that out and and it made life a lot easier for him
2: that's um
0: and then beyond that though in order for him to get out all of these spells um they needed to be kept busy. So there was uh, – there's a statue in that room of Sergei and so I said that Sergei's armor came off the statue and used Strahd's animated armor uh, as sort of a tank to keep them busy for a little bit. And then meanwhile from deeper in the crypts, help kept showing up. Um, I had uh, Rahadin show up. I had Bucephalus, the Nightmare, show up. Uh, I had the, the brides, the three brides show up as well. Yeah. And I also Nothing like
1: throwing three more vampires on somebody well,
0: and, and what's oh, so and their vampires spawn. So they're not very difficult, except sure, but you can
1: you can jack them up, though.
0: I, and I did. I, I, yeah. gave, I used the um, I don't remember if Tasha's was out at this point. I don't think it was. So I used the essentials kit sidekick rules and I gave them sidekick levels yeah, uh, cool. To boost them a little bit, uh, and so not 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 so much that they're going to like steal the show, but enough that like, oh, well, that that's helpful, and this one's constantly giving this other one advantage on their attacks, and this one's got a few spells here and there to. to mix cool. things up and that that went i mean the challenge level was was right they ended up fight having to take take on everything else before they could deal with strad because he was so well defended then they started throwing out uh attacks and eventually figured out that they could destroy the red orbs and, and drop his concentration spells uh you know and and it, um and things started going their way it was nobody i don't think anybody ever dropped but it was a kind of a hairy fight it was a challenge i think they had fun and then um the druid who was had basically used up all of his spells and was out of things to do um at the very end decides fine i guess i'll just attack it with the spear because he has the spear uh it the blood spear of kazan or whatever the that thing was from the druid circle back at yester hill uh so he's got that he's like fine i'll attack him with that and he pulls off a hit and it was the last like handful of hit points and finishes Strahd off with the, the blood spear to the heart, you know? Um, wow. Which I thought was super dramatic. One of, one of the, the players was a little upset because his paladin was like, I'm going to kill this guy, and then he didn't get the killing blow. He, he got the second to last blow and got him down, Strahd down to like two hit points. Um, <laughs> so he was a little disappointed in that. Um, but then, but that, that was basically what happened the last time we played. And I sort of described, you work your way back up out of the castle and you can see sort of the ring of fog starting to to spread out and and leave Barovia. And as the wall of fog crosses over the area, you see the parts of Barovia integrating into the city of Waterdeep. And now you're on the top of Castle Waterdeep where where Ravenloft is and bringing them back to where they were and, and integrating it to the, to the earlier part of the campaign. All exactly the way I, I had planned on doing it. And the castle sort of was wiped of its of its curse and all the grime and the spider webs and everything goes away and I also uh I had at the, I had made the decision that you know all of Strahd's, like treasures and stuff go away too cuz there's a bit of like I don't want to just hand them the pile of loot for searching the castle when all the threats are gone and I don't want to have them go around and just like okay you've killed Strahd. now go finish off these whites or skeletons or like that seems Kind of like a you know not fun, um, so I, so I just sort of said, well, all of that stuff goes away as the fog clears and and gets left behind as the curse ends on Castle Ravenloft, right? Um, but then I had some had a player who was kind of actually pissed about. it. He's like, well, then what's? I mean, we got a level for killing Strahd, but what was like? Where's my loot? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, Sergei's tomb had a had plus one plate mail. N- none of us want it. Like, w- you know, what did I get out of all this? He, <laughs> so, um, you know, he was, and, and I think it's telling because like, he he was concerned because he looked at like his character sheet going into Barovia and his character sheet going out of Barovia, and none of his loot changed. In the entire really? in the entire time, all of Curses Stride didn't get a single he, item, or at least, or at least he didn't pick up any attunable items. So his attuned items didn't change at all. Um, now, yeah. I would argue that he accepted a dark blessing that gave him a plus four to charisma. Being a that's, source, a sorcerer or warlock, that's huge. That's not something. Yeah, uh, so. he he picked up the manual of bodily health and got a plus two to charisma. Another plus two. So he got right? a plus six. Right. A total plus six. He 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 was also uh infected with lycanthropy and became a werewolf, which gives him a strength of fifteen. Um and a bonus to AC if he's in his wolf or hybrid for like he got a lot of he arguably got the biggest mechanical benefit from being in Barovia. But it but it just goes to show like that doesn't necessarily matter. Because that's not the fun and interesting things that you pick up. He didn't, you know, he didn't pick up the the artifact, or the 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 item with the handful of spells that it casts, or this thing with an interesting story, or you know, so so I think just you know, as much as we recognize that the mechanical boosts are huge in the game, um, they're not necessarily the things that like stand out as being fun. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's completely player dependent because, as you know, if you listen to my D and D brief game, mm-hmm. they've gotten loot exactly like one time. Right. No. (laughs) And I mean, they're now we're in like session 40 something. Right. And they they got loot once and they're trying to figure out how they're going to pay their crew on their ship because it's been a couple of months and they haven't ever actually paid the crew. So like. And none of my players are like, where's my loot? Where's my loot? They're just... No, you know,
0: I, you're absolutely right
2: that it's... That it's totally player dependent. You're
0: absolutely right that it is. But this is a player who uh, most of his experience is third edition. Um, and he... I mean, uh, he was already... Um, it was already problematic earlier in the campaign that they got the, all this this gold uh, from Dragon Heist and they couldn't just go out and, and stop by the local magic shop and buy all the stuff. And I tried to establish with him that is not... The conceit of, of the setting. Like, that's not a thing that you can do pretty much anywhere in the realms, maybe some planner locations or whatever, but that's not a thing. You know, you can hunt for them and we use the downtime rules so they could get a few things and whatever. Um, and they did, but, but it's just not a conceit of how fifth edition needs to work because it doesn't need that.
2: Like 30, right. there's 30, not a there. there's not an arms race that depends on you right. having the right powered magic item and the right, right. powered arm so so
0: so there was some disappointment there and, and I get it um, <laughs> um, and, and honestly like
2: it's, it's kind of a bummer though right that the, that that that's the kind of takeaway for that right. player like that kind of sucks like I don't no. mean the I don't mean the, the player sucks I mean it sucks that that's the takeaway right. for them after right, yeah. an awesome set of sessions they're like, wait what happened? I didn't get any loot, but at the same time, they got plus six charisma, they got lycanthropy. Oh, they got plus they six got,
0: total. It was between charisma and, and con. But yeah.
2: Oh, okay. But but you get my point, though, right? Yeah. And then they got the strength boost, and like they got a lot of stuff, but it wasn't the kind of stuff they wanted, which... That's kinda i of, I've been in campaigns where well, and he's, it, it, he's, it wasn't what I wanted at the end, and it's kinda of like, oh, this is kind of a letdown almost. Well, and he's
0: yeah. he's he's an admitted uh min-maxer, so I think he wanted all this that stuff too. But <laughs> right? Plus six to charisma. Right. Yeah. No, plus six, <laughs> plus four to charisma, plus two to con. Oh, sorry, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Um but no, no. I mean if you got ring with a plus two con on it, you'd be pretty happy. Right. So so I think but I think – but but at the same time, like I, I hear – like I want everybody to have fun including that person and if that's <laughs> sure. something right. that makes – and I'm probably a little extra stringent or, or stingy on these things because I'm reacting to my time playing third and fourth edition where I'm I, – I, that's not – I don't want to have magic item shops or being, you know, on, on every other block like a McDonald's or a Starbucks, right? Uh, but that's kind of what you had to have in third and fourth edition in order to keep up with the mechanics of the game. Um, and so I'm probably stingier than I need to be. So I think what the solution I've come up with is moving forward, um, there's going to be the, the, the act three of the campaign, which is entirely homebrewed in terms of story, but I'm going to pull a bunch of stuff from other adventures. Um, is, is basically, um, uh, Black Blackcloak from uh, Undermountain, right? He was, he is the champion of the dark power that escaped. You know, when you go into Amber Temple or maybe Mike knows cause he's played it, you go into Amber Temple and there's one of the, the Amber Sarcophagi that's been broken Right. So the story is that hundreds of years ago, uh actually I think 2000 years ago in in Forgotten Realms time, um that's when Barovia last came back to the to the planet uh to reality and and that's when that dark power escaped and Halaster became his champion and that's the same time that Halaster moved into Undermountain and started doing all his things. Uh and so he's been w- sitting around waiting this whole time for Barovia to come back again so he could get to the Amber Temple. Now that now that this dark power has a champion, that champion is tasked with going back to the Amber Temple and freeing all the rest of them. Mm. Uh, and then the act three of the campaign is fighting these other champions and then also eventually learning what can be done about it and re-trapping the dark powers and the Amber Temple, sending Barovia back, and basically going back to the way things were but feeling like you've accomplished this, we saved the world sort of thing, right? Um, and and so I've started thinking, wh- what I'll do um, that might sort of scratch that itch for that player and some others is when they defeat the champions of the dark powers, each one of them is going to have an item, um, that I will that I have sort of statted up like the the vestiges of divergence have you if you remember those from wild mount or if you read them in the previous taldori book that green lantern published which is basically it's a, it's a relatively low level magic item but it levels up as the, the characters right. hit major story points for their characters yeah. uh, and so I think that might be a, a fun way to give them something that uh, all of them something that like oh now I got some cool loot uh, and I've decided the one player who was particularly having a hard time with the lack of loot, um, his will be the one that I've sort of tailored for his character. Whether he ends up with it or not, I, I guess is up to them. But the one that I've sort of tailored for his character will be in the hands of the the champion, the dark champion that's going to attack them right in the heart of Waterdeep, like as they climb down from the <laughs> mountain. That that's when all of the dark powers are going to escape. Uh, and that one will be right there. Uh, and it's the one, there's one that's like the hellhound whisperer or something. Uh, and it's going to be that the champion of that dark power who shows up with, you know, a, a pack of hellhounds. Um, and that'll be, you know, he, that way he can get sort of his, his loot, but it won't feel like he's not getting things over time because it'll continue to grow and get better. Right. So that's my hopeful solution to, to all of that. I've got a bunch of questions about, and I could talk more about what my plans are for act three. I've got my descent into Avernus game um, that I could talk about as well, but my time ran up a few minutes ago. So <laughs> I, that said, I can tell you this, Mike. Um, I have gotten to—I have just gotten to the point this last weekend on descent into Avernus where they had to pick their path. You know, uh, path of defense, yeah. path of, of devils. The that that I know you don't—you're not fond of because it's, it's it, no. I came up with a different path. Yeah, you've described it as just a bunch of fetch quests, uh, and and that's that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I, and I guess I don't have a problem with a bunch of fetch quests. It's another,
1: yeah, it's another yeah another problem with it that I could that I could well, talk about.
0: So th- uh, here's the That's problem I ran into. Um, my biggest issue: uh, there are two things. One, some of the fetch quest encounters locations are completely unnecessary. They don't add anything to anything. Yeah. Uh, like the spawning trees. Like
1: yeah, fetch, fetch quests that mean something are fine. Sure. Right. Like fetch quests that are part of the story are great. It's fetch quests that are. Totally unrelated to this story I think, and are just I mean, filler.
0: because uh, I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, like eighty percent of D D is fetch quests. That's yeah.
1: I mean, yeah like <laughs> I'm, I'm not yeah. It's not just that they're fetch quests because right. Yeah, like you said, eighty percent of D D are fetch quests. But like,
2: this, like a, f- this has, a fetch quest a fetch quest that's not meaningful is it's like meaningful, uh, it, yeah. it's like a wandering well, monster encounter that has no connection to anything else. Right. But yeah, but right? and like, here and here's where the thing monster.
0: here's what what the thing is though, is that like, the one of the paths, the first fetch quest is go to the spawning trees. And then you happen to run into some some mean-bearded devils, and you hear from them about this other thing going on, and that leads you to the next thing. But, like, why – like, so it does it, – it, it leads you to the next step of the story. Fine. But, like, why is that the location that Lulu thought you should go to? Like, it doesn't make right. any sense. It's got nothing to do with Lulu's story or Zerial's story. Right. Like, there's uh, – so – you know, I, I've started plotting things out. And I know you created your own path, uh, and I think honestly one of the existing paths fits fairly well with the concept of the Path of the Hellriders, which I know is what you had come up with.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I the Path of the Hellriders that I built, I built from all the pieces that are in the other.
0: Right. So yeah,
1: I didn't make up a bunch of stuff. It's, no, it's, absolutely. So, so I'm I'm how they show up. Yeah. I'm
0: mapping it because that's part of what this campaign is about. Is me testing things out and I want to run it basically as written as much as possible because my kids are I mean they didn't care that the story didn't send them to this that there wasn't a strong reason to go there or there right Um, so that that connected tissue wasn't super important to them like it is to me um but I get to test things out and see, figure out what works, what doesn't work, and so I think I, with some relatively minor tweaks and maybe shuffling a few locations from there into there, I can come up with. Um, I think what I what I'm going to call like the the one of them is like the the path of allies, and the other one's like the path of destruction, right? The one where you go off and you can deal with the Hell Riders and get their help, or you can go off and get Tiamat to just fuck shit up. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, and I, I had the Tiamat. I, kind of, I sort of dangled the Tiamat line in mine. I was right. like,
0: you can't, you know,
1: here, I, 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 I wanted other paths. So I had two other of the, I, I had the, the path of the Hellriders. But then I also said, well, we're going to have the path of Gargoth, you know, mm. as another potential path. Right. And then the path of Tiamat as another path. And the Tiamat one was pretty overt. And the party was like, no, we're okay. I'm,
0: like, I'm kind of tempted. T- parents,
1: like, you want to work for me? And like, nah, we're okay. Yeah,
0: I'm kind of tempted to just completely ignore the paths altogether when I run it with the main group in sure. it, you know, a year or so. And basically just have Lulu, like, remember some locations to put on the map and remember some potential solutions. Oh, well, if we want to break the chains, you know, TMF might help with that or here's a, here's a thing we might do or whatever. And then just let them like, okay, well, you figure out where you want to go and what you want to do and how you're going to figure out the solution to the problem um, and just leave it at that. And then eventually, eventually even if you, if you run it as it is, uh, the locations as they are, you'll eventually run into one of the paths that leads you to the Bleeding Citadel. Sure. So, yeah. but then they can just sort of go where they want. There's not a specific like pick the path of demons or path of devils. You know, I think there's a,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, it's similar. Yeah, there's there's room to kind of build your own path. Period.
0: Right. Right. Well, you and know, and like, I and I think I think yeah. they it, it's similar. There was a similar area in Dragon Heist where uh, you hit a spot where it's like there's not a real strong connective right. piece here to send you from there to there to there to do whatever these things, and it just kind of feels. Pointless for a while, and you got to do a lot of work to make it happen. Um, right. So, so yeah, that's a thing. But anyway, I, now I'm even more over my time, and I've got more stuff I can talk about. I'm using a bunch of James Arcasso and other uh, additions for Descent into Avernus as well. I'm I'm bringing in uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage and uh, <laughs> and um, Tomb of Annihilation and other things for my other campaign. Uh, I've decided one of the. I'm champions- shocked.
1: Yeah, wait a minute. You're not playing the book just direct. You're gonna mix it with m- multiple
0: <laughs> adventures well, together. What? The, the, these are these are books that I don't otherwise plan on using, but they got some cool things, so I'm gonna rip them wait, off and use them.
2: Is right. Freeport gonna be there too? Uh,
0: not this yeah. time. That was my last yeah. campaign. <laughs> <sighs> Although I like Freeport. Um, anyway. I'm well over my time. Um, what do I need to mention? Oh yeah, I need to mention that we have a new sponsor. This is our, my first recording of the month, so it's worth noting that we have a new sponsor. Uh, AwesomeDice.com uh, is a is a dice retailer, as you would expect. Um, they have they they have a pretty good deal on what they're calling um, what is it? Sharp Edge. Um, dice, kind of like, like um, remember the like Precision the game, Dice? The Game Science Dice? Yeah, kind of yeah, like those. Precision Dice. Um, but, but they've got a decent price on them, um, <laughs> uh, and so that might be worth... Um, what are they called? The awesome Dice.
2: AwesomeDice.com. Called Sharp Edge Dice sharp, or something like something that? Something
0: like that, yeah. And then they've also, uh, they wanted me to talk about the fact that they've got a special cannabis-themed set of dice as well, so people can go check that out. It's legal in, in your state now. You can, like, lick your <laughs> dice and... Yes, I'm sure that... And those are under the the category of bardic bardic inspiration, so now we know what bardic inspiration is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Look, if you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. AwesomeDice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh. Hello, Bard. Please, share your... Bardic Inspiration about Dice. Yeah, I've got Bardic Inspiration Dice. It's this totally mellow, cannabis theme set with smoky interior, exclusively available at AwesomeDice.com. I see. Well, Precision, Bardic Inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets, it seems You can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let them know the Tome Show sends you dudes. All right, so that's it for my time. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about Mike. What you got? Let's.
1: So I want to talk about, I have two topics that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about point crawls and i want to talk a little bit about what was the other topic i had uh style dungeons uh, are you are, I, I i i for for some reason i imagine sam is well versed in both of these topics yeah uh, jeff are you familiar with no these, i have no i have no concepts? idea what you're talking
0: about
2: with either no of them. idea what we so, no, so i'm, so n- just, I'm just new to D&D. just yeah well, <laughs> just as a note that's named after uh, Janelle, Janelle Jakeways.
1: Janelle oh, ja- it's, Jaquais. It's,
2: it's Jakeways, yeah. Jakeways. Uh, uh, and So it's Jakeways style dungeon? It's, it's Jakeways, yeah. Okay. On a podcast, they had her clarify how you pronounce Excellent. it. <laughs>
1: Good deal. Yeah. So, all right. So we'll start with point crawls. Uh, and so I, I learned uh, kind of uh, both of these ideas from this site, The Alexandrian, uh, written by Justin Alexander. Uh, who has an excellent blog with lots and lots of really great material in there, including something like a, I think it's like a 67 part blog series on how to redo descent into Avernus.
0: Uh, I he, believe which, if, which I, he, he also did for uh, uh, a dragon, dragon and a bunch of others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he
2: also, he's at Hexcrawl on Twitter and, and, and he Hexcrawl, has a Patreon. I, yes.
1: So, uh, <laughs> apparently alexandrian.com is not a, uh,
2: it's not his website. It's. I think uh, it's the the Alexandrian.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I. You know, it's a it's a site I really dig, and uh, I've been. So I've been thinking about these ideas, but I never really needed the concepts because I was running published adventures and published adventures. You kind of have this stuff sort of laid out for you, but I've been running my homebrew Eberron games, and um. uh, which means I have like n- nothing. Right. I've got open an, a, a wide open field of of where, where the characters can go. And I'm pretty familiar with like running dungeon crawls. And my latest go-to has been go to DysonLogos.com, go to the 900 maps he's got, find one that's suitable for whatever I'm going to do and mm-hmm. use, and then fill it with my own stuff. Like, like, you know, throw, throw interesting, interesting locations and interesting encounters in there. And I'm kind of all set, right? Uh, but I, a couple of times recently I ran cities and in particular, I've run—I think—three ruined cities, like three cities, because it's set in the Mornland, and in the Mornland and Eberron, everything is destroyed. So if you run into a city inside the Mornland, it's likely a wrecked, a wrecked city. So this started with the city of Eston. And my technique there was like, I'm going to get another map from Dyson logos of a, of a, of a city. And I'm going to write a bunch of interesting location names on there. And then I'll just show them to the players and say, you can pick which one of these places you want to go to. And then they can kind of choose. And then I had another smaller city that was really sort of a sub quest. And all I did was like a linear path between, you know, where they started and where they wanted to go. And I just described, I had a couple encounters on the way and then they were at the place that they wanted to go. Uh, and then I was running another city that I, I only just started running for my Wednesday game, but my and my Sunday game will hit it in a couple of weeks. Maybe they might hit it, yeah, probably a couple of weeks. Uh, which is the city of making. And this is where the weapon of the morning was created. So it was like the, it's it's kind of like um, uh, what's the city, Los Alamos, where the nuclear where they made nuclear we- you know nuclear bombs during the during mm-hmm. the World War II. So it's like a city where everybody was there working on the weapon, but it was kind of a hidden city from everywhere else because they didn't want the other nations to know that they were building this weapon. So um, and then the city got destroyed, of course, when the weapon of morning went off. Uh, so I also had like sort of overland locations Where I wanted the players to, I wanted the characters to kind of explore an area. And again, you can sort of draw point A to point B and throw a couple of encounters on the way and you're done. And I was like, that's kind of boring. Like, what about multiple paths? Right. So then I said, okay, well, I'll I'll do like three paths that they can take to get from the train station that they show up to the gates of making. And it's across an area known as the Glass Plateau, which is sort of the wasteland outside of the city and i came up with like three paths i said there's like the obsidian mountains and there's the field of glass and then there's the um the road of fallen or the, the yeah the road of fallen iron i called it and i was and i kind of described what those looked like and said you can pick which way you want to go and then they picked one and then i had some encounters that were related to the kind of area that they chose so at least they had a choice And I was thinking like, well, that's not perfect either because it's still kind of like they had three choices, but it's still pretty linear. So I dug into this idea of point crawling. And so point crawling is based off of hex crawling, only without worrying about fixed distances. So instead of having like these 30 mile hexes or whatever, eight mile hexes, however big you make your your, hex, hexes and hex crawls can be different sizes. Right, Sam? Yeah,
2: Yeah. sure. Um, Generally, you have them be small areas yeah. because you it depends on how far the overall it depends on how sword.
1: big the over, yeah if you yeah. if you're doing all of the sword coast right. 30 mile hexes make sense if you're doing but i was doing like a two or three day journey mm-hmm. you know it wasn't going to be very big so right so smaller hexes but it, but in, but i was like well i don't i'm not going to do hexes cuz one of the problems with doing hexes is like every hex has to kind of mean something and or it's boring right you're like well it's another desert hex roll mm-hmm. on the desert right. encounter
0: table so it's right? a, it's a hex crawl but instead you just have a map with random instead points just, on yeah. the map that are exactly. important or interesting Except you just you you just kind of say here are all of the
1: yeah here are all of the possible locations that exist between these areas and then you 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 have connections between them and the connections are the physical pathways that would exist in the world so it could be a river that connects two places together. It could be a game path. It could be whatever, you know, it could be ley lines. Like whatever you're going to use that uh, that the characters could follow to get from point A to point B. And you you build this whole sort of, you know, what what, you know, you build a graph, right? If you if you're familiar with graph theory, you have nodes and edges, right? And your nodes are your locations and your edges are the connections between those locations. And um so the other interesting bit about that though is like there there are so Somewhat good and bad patterns for such a, such a hex crawl or for such a point crawl. And again, like having three paths with four nodes on each path is kind of boring, right? It's like, yeah, it's, it's you have a choice, but your choice is only up front. And then every node that along that choice is linear again right until you get to the final one which is fine if like if it's one session so like i was only doing a one session game for getting across morning so they didn't need to have a new path every time but if you're doing a bigger one you don't want to just you want to have a bunch of different branching paths paths on it and you might want some other things like dead ends or secret paths that they'd only discover if they go to a certain place or loopbacks that like hey it turns out there's a shortcut like maybe you get three nodes out and you're 40 or 50 miles away but there's a portal there that could take you right back to the train if you wanted it Right? So you can build these sort of, again, sort of backward paths. And this sort of gets into the idea of what uh, Je- Je- Jaquois? Jaquois. Jaquois. Got him. It's going to take me some time. Uh, so this is where we get into the idea of Jaquois-style design. Uh, so uh, Janelle Quays, uh wrote Dungeons & Dragons Adventures uh, a long time ago. I think in the 80s? 70s? Late,
2: late 70s. So she was... She's a... Uh, she also worked at like Coleco and yeah. And so, for like she, she's a, a, a video game designer. Right. right? right. But yeah, she yeah, also played D and D and she start she's the one who actually started the Dungeoneer magazine, which was uh, taken over by judges guild. She wrote uh, the dark tower. She wrote caverns of Thracia, right. uh, a ton of stuff. She, she wrote one of the second edition blue books, the campaigning books, you know, um, the DM, the DMG books, um she was a designer for tsr a freelance designer for tsr for and she's an artist so she did a lot of art too so yeah she's a sort of all-around great designer right and and so there's some there's some criteria
1: so justin Alexander in his i think it's like an eight-part series you know again i love justin alexander's stuff but boy Mm -hmm. a lot of words um and uh (laughs) so in part two of his series on uh, Jakeway style dungeons uh, shows like what are the criteria that sort of make a Jakeway style dungeon different than the typical. And it's a bunch of things. Loops are one of them that you have sort of loop backs, right? You you, you don't just have sort of linear paths. You have places where you might go from point to point to point and then realize you're back near where you were to begin with Uh, uh, multiple level connections that if you have, Two levels that are on top of one another. There's more than one way to get from level A to level B, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, Discontinuous level connections that sometimes you might have a hole. I remember this from EverQuest that there's a dungeon in the game EverQuest called Befallen. And if you're on the layer one of Befallen, it's like a three or four layer dungeon, but there's a well in one spot. And if you fall down the well, you're down on level four. And you're fighting monsters that are way more powerful than you are because you didn't go all the way down. And it was like this dangerous hole that everybody knew about. It's like, do not look down the well because you will fall and then you'll get killed <laughs> by ghouls. So, um, But that idea of like maybe you have sort of a big crack that goes through the dungeon and the crack actually leads two or three levels deeper than you had originally planned. Uh, secret and unusual paths. You know, that idea that there are other pathways that you'll discover along the way that sort of loop back. Or or go to some places that you didn't have uh, sub levels that you might have a whole separate sub level out here even though you have big levels and you'll notice a lot of these are expecting multi level dungeons and you know I'm actually working on an article now about like well what is a what is a jQue style dungeon that is one level right what are the what are the parts of these that match uh, divided levels nested dungeons elevation shifts midpoint entries um, non Euclidean geometry, extra dimensional spaces, it, you know, list goes on and on. But there's a few that sort of stand out to me. And the idea of like, you know, secret, you know, secret paths, loop backs, um, uh, you know, uh, multiple, you know, multiple paths that could take you down multiple levels, things like that. And then I was like, you know, well, can you use some of these ideas when you're doing a point crawl? Right. And the answer is, sure, you can Right, that like if you're instead of having sort of linear paths, you can have paths that sort of loop back on each other. Again, you could have, you know, you could have it where maybe you go four points out, but there's one point that takes you all the way back. Um, you know that. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you sort of build all of these uh, branching pathways? And the interesting bit about them is they don't have to be realistic. They have to be fun. So like the interesting thing about dungeons that's different than like a. Manor. So if you think about, um, let's look at, uh, Descent into Avernus, right? And in Descent into Avernus, you have the, um, uh, who's the, who are the villains there? Uh, the, the Baroness, the Baron, the Van, the, Thamper. The Van Thamper family. So they have a manor, right? And there's a map for the manor and the map, the manor is a pretty straightforward manor. Um, and if you're running a manor, it actually works well because it, it works well when the manor's layout is similar to what a player would expect a manor to be laid out like. It's got bedrooms and kitchens and basements and, you know, servants' quarters and stables and all the kinds of things you could expect. So that way when a when the players are figuring out how they're going to infiltrate a manor, they have something to go on even if they haven't been inside, Right. They're like, bedrooms are probably on the second floor, right? Kitchens and dining rooms are probably on the first floor. Cellar is one level down, right? Uh, But dungeons don't exist in the real world, and they don't make any sense anyway, right? Like, nobody has anything like that. So the design of a dungeon can be built around what are interesting choices for the players to make, right? And how can they sort of learn about what this place is like and sort of have the structure, you know, have the structure reveal itself over time. Uh and 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 so if you look at if you look at Vantamper Villa, uh it and you look at the rooms, the room layout looks very similar. If you look at the dungeon that exists beneath Vanthamper, um, that dungeon is a uh Jakeway style dungeon. It's got loops, it's got pathways through. You know, there's two rooms in the center that have a secret room between them that then take you from one hallway to another. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's got multiple entr- it's got multiple entrances and exits because it's in it's connected to a sewer. So, and well, in this case it's like it, it's, it's a sewer.
0: It's it's the the sewer connections have been closed off, but there is another Not all of them. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: the, well, the Southern, well I'm looking I'm looking at the map right okay, now. Okay, okay, I believe and, you. <laughs> and there is a one of the sewer entrances labeled V30 uh does not look like it
0: is blocked. Okay, but right? but and the, I, and they they explicitly talk about there being a, like an escape route through the carriage, right. which you could, the carriage house, which you could find. Right.
1: So there's, there's sort of, yeah, right. There's, there, if you look, there's, there's, there's at least two. So it looks like there are three paths in and out of this mm-hmm. dungeon, right? And uh, if you go to the, uh, the dungeon of the dread, uh, the dungeon of the dead three, I, I haven't looked at it. I was using it as an example. Yeah. So it's another one. It's got loopbacks. It's got secrets. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got sort of dead end, interesting dead ends is, I think, another. Mm -hmm. trait like you want you want paths that that sort of go places um so i've i've been interested in it now the funny thing is like i didn't really have to worry too much about jquay style dungeons because i go to dyson logos and dyson knows about jquay style dungeons (laughs) dyson's maps are are pretty solid right you look at them and they 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 usually are not super symmetrical uh they usually have multiple entrance points they often have loopbacks. backs they certainly have secrets he sort of has he clearly has like a checklist in mind of like what makes fun dungeons fun and and designs his maps. And having now used like 20 different Dyson logo maps for different places in my homebrew games, um, I can attest to the fact that I haven't I haven't run into one of those that hasn't been good right now of course i'm selecting them from a list of 900 so i'm probably skipping over ones but i never really thought to myself like does it have these five things instead i'm like oh that that fits temple you know temple layout you grab it right throw it into the the layout um so so both of those things are things that i didn't really you know it's kind of fun because it's like holy cow i've been playing this game for 35 years and even within the last like six months, I'm learning two different things that both kind of change how I think about running the game and are different things that I'm looking for when I'm running the game. And the the point crawl for Overland stuff is something I, I haven't needed until I've been homebrewing my own stuff. And I needed this sort of pattern. You know, I, I needed a design pattern for a particular type of gameplay where they're going over a hostile land. And I don't want to just have a line and have five encounters. I want them to make choices, and I want them to see interesting things and choose which path they're going down and you know and and that you know so that that idea of the point crawl really works well, and it's a good, lazy technique, right? I don't have to do a ton of work. I can do it with a piece of paper and a pen. Um, I actually found a pretty good uh, graph graphviz.it it uh, so there's an online tool that can um uh, generate a graph. You you basically give it text with a little bit of nomenclature, and it will generate a graph for you uh, with nodes and edges and everything. And you can label them. So yeah, I can build a point crawl map um, online and and have it ready to use and throw it into my Discord chat and show the players and say like, here's the paths that you think you're going to take and the different places you could go. And I can not show the stuff that's secret or not show the connections they don't discover until they discover them. So both of those have been very interesting things that mm-hmm. I've been running into in my eberron game and both i think are valuable sort of things to explore uh like they're you know tools to have in the toolbox
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, for for running our for running our games and uh
0: yeah yeah i hit my time was that a lot of time yeah it was yeah but i mean you're not over as far as i was so you're fine (laughs) Um, no, I think you're right, though. I think it's interesting. As, mu- as you know, I've been playing this game since I was eight, and I'm not eight anymore. Um, you're like 14 now.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm at least
0: 14 now, yeah. Um, and, and, and even, like, there's a lot of advice or there's a lot of things or concepts that we've learned or heard over the years, and even if, like, something... Even if we've heard something before and it didn't like hit us at the time, or maybe it did, and then it kind of faded from from use or from memory or whatever. it's it's always fun to hear it like again. otherwise, I mean, there are five hundred million blogs and podcasts and video uh, you know, YouTube channels and whatever all giving DM advice, right. Um, certainly, one could say, Take all of this DMing advice and put it into a single guidebook that nobody will read, uh, <laughs> and 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 have all this great stuff there. But it doesn't ma- like unless you're going to go back and and read this, these you know ten volume Dungeon Masters guides uh, on a regular basis to sort of oh that was a neat idea I forgot about or whatever. Like who has the the, the inclination to do that?
2: Well, and it's, it's not even about reading it again. It's like, as Mike said, the reason he's paying attention to it now is that he needs it now. And it's he yeah, didn't I was, need it I was, five, was five years dark. ago. Yeah. yeah. So like having it available now and being able to find it and then develop his own way of doing it is what he needed right then. He could have read it in a DMG or in some kind of advice book sure. previously, but he didn't need it, so it wasn't something that stuck. It didn't ring. Yeah.
0: Well, and honestly, it's it's even um, a lot of times it's about what's in the. What's in the zeitgeist? What's in the in the conversation in the community right now? That'll like pop up and be like, oh, oh yeah, I kind of remember a thing like that. I never did anything with it before, but it might actually work for this thing that I'm doing right now. So I think no, I think that's great. I think I think it's it's um, a testament to the fact that even though every bit of gaming advice that could possibly exist has almost certainly been given that there's still value in doing these things. (laughs) Yeah, I would disagree. I don't know. I know you would because that's what you do, right? That's what the whole thing is about, but I I don't know that there's any new advice out there, but I think there is.
1: I, I think this is an unlimited hobby that the variables are so great in what we're creating, right? In the, we th- This is like my, you know, I think when I was talking to Michelle about the idea of like, I'm going to post a DM tip every day. And she's like, you're going to run out in like three months. Right. I've been doing it 10 years. Right. I, I've got <laughs> I've got 5000 DM tips right <laughs> now. Granted, I have a tendency to go back and do some again. Say, but, have, have you repeated many, any? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But I haven't repeated 90. Right. There's there's thousands in there. And it's because it's a relatively unlimited game and there's so many facets to it. And there's so many angles and there's so many different ways to 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 kind of approach this thing. It's sort of like I mean it's like writing or storytelling or or doing plays or anything that like, you know, there's always going to be writing advice, you know, there's always gonna be like different ways to handle storytelling. And and I, I think we'll always come up with new with new ideas and new systems. Now sometimes we'll go back and look at old ones again. Um, but the idea that like hex crawling was a thing back in the 70s. Right, and had a structure to it. In fact, there was hex crawling before there was D and D, right? Um, and then D and D kind of picked hex crawling up. But then people looked at it and it was like, "Yeah, hex crawling is great, but what about point crawling?" And the and by the way, point crawling—I um, forget the name of the person who did it. Uh, Hill Cantons is the name of the blog, and they wrote about it back in 2014. So this is not new. That's six years old. But yeah, it was the kind of thing where like, I was, you know, poking around with it. and I think in my Discord channel people were talking about it and it's uh, I kind of saw that there's this you know the way I'm handling it isn't great you know and and the DMG talks about hex crawls right like the dungeon master's guide does offer things for like here's how to handle overland travel right and here's a bunch of different ways to handle overland travel and it kind of has a it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't refine it down to point crawls but it's sort of in there if you
0: Right. Mm-hmm. You no, know? You, know, you know that sounds like a really good book. What's it called again? I've never heard of it. Yeah, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Dungeon Master, why Why don't they do one of these with every edition? Jeez. It's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you, the Dungeon Master's Guide gets a lot of
1: hate. Um, I, I, you know, I find it pretty great. Like, I use it for inspiration. It's got a bunch of oh. tables and charts in there that are great. Every Dungeon I, Master's I, I Guide I've like, read
0: has been pretty fantastic, but not... But I, it's not necessary to running the game, necessarily. Like, I can run a game with... Not you,
1: right, not if you've already...
0: Yeah. If you've well, played and, before? And, yeah. yeah.
1: The other criticism that's levied on the DMG, which is absolutely sound, is it does not tell you anything about how to be a dungeon master. Sure. It is, you know, it's, it's like the structure of it. It literally, it kind of... I forget how it even starts. Um, but but,
0: like, but that's, a, page, that's a tangent anyway. So. Yeah. so page
1: nine is a world of your own. And then it starts talking about world building. And page 10 is gods of your world. Oh, my God. Right. Like, that is not what you want to begin to learn how to play D&D. It's start by making up gods. And let's talk about monotheism versus polytheism. Oh, not helpful. Right? And then, and then it gets to the planes. It gets into the planes before it gets into making an adventure. Creating a multiverse. Page 43. <laughs> what are you thinking? Okay.
0: Okay
2: time points been made and wh- speaking as a person who just recently has gone through literally every editions dmg and dmg2 with brandis stoddard
0: oh is that the is that the the uh 12 days or
2: yeah every single dmg has that same problem mike they don't actually tell you how to play the game none of them do if only the, somebody the closest- a book that helps people learn I, yeah, how to right be better like dungeon <laughs> <laughs> masters
1: with less time <laughs> Yeah.
0: huh Someone could just make a blog about that. That'd be more modern, right? Um before we move on to our final DM, I want to remind people that there are other ways you can support the show besides going to our sponsor, awesomedice.com. You can also shop at Amazon or DMs Guild through our links at thetomeshow.com. Uh and you can become a patron over at patreon.com/slash well oh, shoot, what was it? Tome show? The Tome Show? I don't know, one of those. You'll find me um so go check that out and support us directly through the patreon that helps me pay the bills uh and keep things going the amazon money goes to all of our creators uh sam and mike uh each get some of that amazon money every now and then throughout the year uh and the dms guild stuff helps us get stuff that we use for reviews so thanks for your support and helping that way sam
2: all right so i am running Two games actively and starting another game tomorrow. So, a quick update on D&D Brief. Um, We were supposed to play on Sunday and we didn't because I got sick, which sucks. Um, But they have gone to the Blue Plateau and patched the hole that was allowing all of the water to be allowed to come into the Common Plateau, the Material Plane. And they communicated with the entity, the the power that is there, that was trapped, which was why the Rift was allowed to be That's there for the, so is long. Is that the
0: warlock's patron?
2: It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he communicated with them. Uh, and so uh, they've done that. And the the reason I bring that up, I'm not going to talk about a lot of details or anything, but the, the thing about that is um, they went they went to the blue plateau and they found that it was basically dry because it had been robbed of all of its water, except for this one final lake. And there was this huge, like two mile across whirlpool in the lake and it was sucking down and the rest of the water was about to go through the rift. So they went down to the bottom of that and had to avoid being sucked into the whirlpool and slammed into the rift. And they found where the, 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 entity or the power was trapped and they had to find out how to get into the place where the entity was trapped. And then when they got in there, there was a really easy combat. And Wait, there was a I combat mean, it could, in your game. There was, I know, I know it's shocking, <laughs> right? But it was a really easy combat because they were so prepared mm. and because they were just on it and had all of the resources that they needed Um, And so the reason I even bring this up is because I knew that exact thing was probably going to happen because they're like 12th level now. And so to give them a difficult combat is it needs to be a super big, important combat for it to be actually difficult for them, basically, because they're so powerful. But because the situation was set up, if they had not made their plan very well and they had not gone about the entire situation with caution and intelligence, they probably wouldn't have been able to have such an easy combat. I mean, you know, you. I, I, when I say easy combat, I don't mean some first level noobs could go in there and take it out, right? I mean that for them it was easy because they approached it the right way. Right. So, um, you know, and that's kind of what you have to do at the higher levels to make something challenging. It's not necessarily about the combat part of it specifically that is directly challenging. It's about the entire situation around it and how they deal with it so that's where we are, and now they, they have to figure out what they're going to do next, and it probably has to do with some demons and, demons and or devils. So we'll see what kind of a deal they're going to try to make there.
0: I, I have to say it's it's been fun um, listening as the episodes come out because, like, uh, uh, some of the recent episodes, they've started to realize some of what's going on with the Blue Goblins. Uh, you know, they figured out that as they've cured some of them, they've turned into people from different points in time and at the point that i've listened to recently like i don't think they have any idea what's going on but but i know what's going on because we've talked about it here and so i'm it's really fun to sort of watch it sort of play out
2: (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's uh it is kind of interesting because i'm i'm about six episodes behind on editing maybe seven episodes now what would have been seven if i had recorded on sunday and so it's kind of interesting when i go back and i end up editing the behind the dm screen episodes and i'm like oh yeah i was talking about that then you know and then and then there's a couple more episodes that i'm editing for the podcast and so yeah uh it's a little bit it's it's nice because it reminds me of exactly what's going on but that's what's happening there in other words they're getting into the real planar stuff and Mm -hmm. so it's going to start to get real dangerous for them the blue plateau was the easiest of what they're looking at and so uh, they're probably going to have to deal with the Dark Plateau again and the Red Plateau, and it's going to get real nasty pretty soon. Uh, so that that's that's that. Um, my other game is Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and we've had four sessions now. The fifth session is this Friday coming up, and they finally, at the end of the fourth session, got some uh, dogs and sleds, and one of them <laughs> got to ride an axe beak. Uh, which they're in love with, and uh, I had them, they they went to Bryn Shander, and they found another murder victim, Um, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on there, and they uncovered some information that this murder victim was friends with or knew the person who drew the lottery, and the person who drew the lottery was the third in command of the militia, and so they had already talked to um, to Markham, the sheriff, Markham Southwell, and he had said to them, you know, because they had said uh, he, he said he was keeping it secret that there was this murder because he was convinced it was cult activity. And he's been trying to stamp out the cult and he's trying to make sure that people didn't start getting really afraid of the townsfolk. He didn't want a panic. Right. And. So it was a shock to him that this they came in and they knew that this murder had happened. And they said, well, you know, somebody obviously, you know, if you've had militiamen guarding the house where the murder occurred so that no one finds out and starts talking about it, you know, you know there, there's obviously somebody who saw it or who who spilled the beans basically, And he said, "Oh no, I trust all of my, you know, all of my top officers, I trust them. But then when they find this evidence that the murder victim knew the person who's drawing, the the lottery tickets every month he figures out oh crap like so now he can't trust his militia because he doesn't know how much of his militia has either been infiltrated by the cult or has just been you know basically playing a protection racket right he doesn't know what it is yet at this point whether it's cult activity or a protection racket because the protection racket could be like hey if you pay me enough I'll make sure your name doesn't get drawn in the lottery, right? And so that's you know corrupt. And so now, now the sheriff is like, "Oh crap! I have all these things to try to figure out." But also, really, the party hasn't. I mean, they sort of showed up. They, he doesn't trust them either. So it's kind of this, you know, I, I, you know, these people are very suspicious. They've been living under the winter rhyme for like two years. They're having to do sacrifices. Everybody's super unhappy. The economy is going to crap because everybody is is. You know, not able to, you know, do the things that they normally do because of the weather conditions. Everybody's getting scared. There's an increase in cult activity. There's a crackdown with the militia because he's trying to stamp out the cult. So there's all this stuff going on. And the party impressed their – the the person – they stayed at one of the inns and – uh, they they stayed at one of the c- more quiet inns in town. And so I used Legacy of the Crystal Shard to get more locations in Bryn Shander. Mm-hmm. And one of the inns there is called Geldenstag's Rest, and it's run by this little old lady, basically. But, she, but uh, the book gives like a one-line description of her. She's a real busybody or something, right? Like her husband and her used to run the inn, and then he died, and then now she's been running the inn. And it's really quiet, and it's really old, but she pretty well takes care of it and whatnot. But it's very quiet. It's not near the the heart of the town or anything like that. So it doesn't get a lot of business, but she's a super busybody. So when the when the players showed up, they wanted a quiet inn. They didn't want a really loud inn. So they went they went there and she was all up in their business, asking them questions, trying to psychoanalyze them, talking crap about people in town and but then you know trying to do it on the sly and and so but she gave them all kinds of advice and, and all kinds of comedy relief basically um and and they got into all sorts of trouble on their own one of my one of my pcs has the runaway author background mm. secret and um the and the runaway author secret spoilers for rhyme of the frost maiden is that the the pc is an author who used to live in Waterdeep and wrote a, a bestselling book called Hellbent Highborn, which is about all of the devil relationships in, in amongst the nobles and, and royal houses and, and merchant houses and rich people in Waterdeep and how they are all basically signing contracts with devils and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And and so it was like a runaway bestseller. But now, of course, all of these people are after the author. So, so the author has run away to, to Icewind Dale. Well, so, of course, there's this really fancy-dancy bookshop in Bryn Shander that happens to have three or four copies of this book, and it's all about gossip. And the person the, – the player who's playing the runaway author PC is really, really – like, plays the person as very naive and just – I just – I just I'm looking for facts and like writes down everything. And like, anytime anybody says anything that they don't recognize, like an idiom or or any kind of saying, they write it down. And they're like, Oh, is that Oh, is that true? You know, and they're writing down everything to gather information, because they're going to write another book. And so they're making it really obvious what their background is. And so, of course, the busybody lady, who is part of a book club, <laughs> catches on right away right and so so they get into all sorts of trouble uh at the end of it they end up finally getting so because the busybody figures it out the person who owns the really fancy bookshop makes a deal with the pc hey if you sign my copies sign the copies of the book that i've already sold to my book club members and sign my last four copies that i have for sale and promise me that when you write your next book I will get the exclusive signed copies. Like you'll come back and sign my copies so that I can sell them for a really high price, right? And I'll I'll make sure that I tell the kennel owner to give you however many dogs and sleds and stuff that you need on credit because you're gonna make so they so they make this contract, right? So basically the runaway author uses his clout to get to get them. The, the ability because they didn't have any money they had like ten gold up uh, between all of them right and so they um because they did the they did the quest in Bryn Shander where they went and uh, got the iron ingots back but they had negotiated. I didn't offer them money for it. I didn't have the NPCs offer them money cuz in in my setting like every you know, nobody's using money hardly at all. They're bartering because nobody has any money anymore. There's nothing coming in from outside. So, and they're not printing their own money. So, money is really not useful at this point. So, they took like uh, a couple of weapons and a, a set of smith's tools or something. Like that was their reward. So, they didn't have any money. So, they bargained to get money. So, now they have two large sleds Uh, six sled dogs and an axe beak and they made their way over to Termalane uh, because one of the other uh, PCs got some information about a mine in Termalane and wants to go check out what's going on over there so they're on their way there And a blizzard comes and it's starting to hit right as they're getting into town. As Right right as they're getting into town, another caravan is leaving town and coming in the other direction. And because the blizzard's there, they decide not to stop and talk to each other. So they just pass by. And so I described to them the symbol on the caravan is, uh, you know, black circle with a golden paw print or something, which is uh, Torg's caravan, right? And, of course... Spoilers again, Torg's caravan is the one carrying Sephik, which is the one who's murdering everybody, right? right? So they passed by the murderer without knowing it. <laughs> um, and, and they didn't stop, right? But but that's really great because what's gonna happen is they're gonna wake up in Termalane the next day and find another murder victim.
0: Well, and that 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 also makes for that great storytelling moment of like you you've seen this caravan before. And then it it loops back around and and comes back up again later uh, as as an important story element. Right.
2: Yeah. So they're probably going to do next time they're going to do the mine quest, which I've totally changed from what's in the book. And they're going to find the murder victim and they're going to probably start to put together the the caravan situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, okay, well, wait, now that. That person, you know, they're going to start to put the timeline together, right? And they also wanted to investigate the White Moose, which is up in Lonelywood, because one of the PCs is the Redhead Tribesman. And one of his background things was the reason he even came to be around Ten Towns and start to hire himself out as, as a guide and a, and a wilderness helper was because his tribe is dying off because all the herds are gone. They have nothing to eat. So uh, when they were in the tavern in in Targos, uh, he was telling the other PCs this, and one of the drunken patrons of the tavern there, the Leskin Arms Inn, heard him and said, "Oh, I know what your problem is," and sort of drunkenly told him about how there's this white moose that is kind of like a Pied Piper that's chasing all the humans out of the out of the forest up there, so they can't log anymore, and is causing all the herds to leave the area because humans are are killers right so so they're so they're going to stay over there probably they're going to stay up in Termalane and targos for a while so by the time they get back down near targos and Brinchander they're going to maybe put together that caravan issue and they're going to know that there was now another murder in a different one of the 10 towns and they're going to be able to put together that caravan thing so so it is a really it's really nice foreshadowing that they passed that and so they're going to get to see that later
0: yeah that'll be brilliant
2: yeah, so that's going to be really fun. Um, I have made quite a few changes to the rhyme of the Frostmaiden, but...
0: Well, yeah, because th- it sounds like your your initial story arc is all about what was written as just the, like, that was just the the, the intro. Yeah, yeah, that was the cold open so the, sto- adventure.
2: So. I mean, the co- so instead of doing the cold open where you just have some patron in a tavern tell them, hey, do this job for me, I had them... S- uh witness uh, somebody screamed and so that that person had right. seen the body and then they went to investigate and so and they stumbled you, upon this you're body. having
0: them sort of travel around to make the connection with the caravan right. as opposed to I think as written like what is it that somebody else makes the connection and just tells them about it
2: There's an old like a uh, um bounty hunter person who who knows that Sefik did it and and is supposedly quit following him and now wants some other somebody else to take care of the job like it it didn't really make sense like as written as the beginning of an adventure, I suppose, like, okay, everybody, if you want to play d d you have to, like, pay attention to this person. But, like, to me, it felt more organic to, to have them sort of Experience that there's this murder that happened, and so and I didn't want them to go after Sefik right away anyway because as Mike Shea knows, he's really dangerous, and if if they happen to stumble upon him really early, he could kill them. Probably not. This group is pretty good at yeah. going around things and 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 coming up with alternate plans and not getting killed. But but it's possible they could have come face to face with him and and threatened him and got in a fight and had something bad happen. And I didn't want that to happen. If they're going to die, I want it to be because of a dumb decision, not because, well, I put this thing in front of them and it seems like the obvious choice is take care of this guy because <laughs> that's what they're getting paid for, right? Like, so, so, and I, and I feel like the murder mystery part of it's more interesting anyway, and it gives them a reason to keep going and, and then they go and they learn different parts of the towns and they meet the people and that's going to make chapter four much more impactful because they're organically learning who's in town that's cool, who's in town that's dangerous, who can I trust, who shouldn't I trust, what's going on, and when the tin towns start to get destroyed, they're going to start feeling that real hard, right? Because um, I also, they met um, Valine Harpel who gave them the Chewinga quest. I got rid of the actual quest giver. The, uh, like, uh, what's her name? Danica Greysteel. I got rid of her because she has no other relationship to anything. So I had...
0: But Harpel her, but her plays, plays into the larger story, so...
2: Right, and so had I had them stumble across her coming into Bryn Shander. She's outside looking for Chewinga and tells them all about it. Of course, her kobolds, one of whom at that point, which is an undead, aren't around. Right, so they can't see that she's like. Of course, immediately they suspect. Hey, wait, this person's name sounds almost like villain, and she's an old lady, and in the picture she has a white <laughs> owl and an eye patch. Like, of course, she's right. you know dangerous and villainous and all that. Which. You know, whatever. But so I had her be, you know, she was not... You know, and in fact, I might just decide she has nothing to do with the arcane brotherhood. I don't know, but she she put she presented herself as a as a researcher who's looking into um, elemental beings in a, in an effort to try to stop the rhyme from happening. And of course, Chewingas are elemental, so uh, she's trying to look for them so that she can communicate with them and find out how they harness their power and if they can help. Right. And so now the party's also keeping an eye out for Chewingas, so I can spring the fi- the finale of that particular quest on them. When Whenever they're coming or leaving a town, whenever I need to, right? Um, so there's a lot going on, and and everything in there, and I'm trying to tie in everything. And the so I've I brought in the cult from I wrote a I wrote a product on DM's Guild of Oral because there's no there's no cult of Oral in Rhyme and the Frost which I find completely ridiculous. Okay, there is the cult of Levistus, There's Asmodius. There's you know, a whole bunch of other things, but there's no cult of oral. It doesn't make any sense. So I put that in there and they're driving a lot of the low level behavior and and incidents that are happening in the 10 towns along with Sefik who is a cult member. Um, and then also I'm replacing Asmodeus with Torog. And so when they go do the mine, what's funny is the, the reason that that PC was asking about any mines in the area is that her, she's, um, She's an ASMR and her guardian told her that she should come north because there's something that is hidden underground that's going to be uncovered and it could be very bad for the entire plane of existence. So tying into the to the end game. Right. So every everything that she's been at, she, everywhere she goes, she keeps asking, hey, uh, do you know anything about anything buried? Are there any mines around here? I need to find where they've dug really deep and all that. So she's not even on the same wavelength as, hey, there's a glacier with a buried...
0: Well, and it'll be interesting when when they start running into like the black ice or whatever, that, that she might think that's the thing, but it's
2: not. So Oral uses black ice. I, I made a magic item, and one of the magic items in my and my product is a, a ring that's made of black ice. It's based on the ones that some of the barbarians have in chapter two. There's a, there's some reghead barbarians that have gone crazy because they've got these black ice rings and they got it from oral. Well, so I took that idea and I said, well, maybe oral gives these rings and they have a little bit of power. And as long as you're favored by her and you're, you know, you're using it for, for, you know, to meet her ends, it doesn't make you go mad necessarily and not at least not at first so there's all these they keep finding a ring anytime there's been any cult activity they find a ring Mm -hmm. right and so that's something that they so they already have started to experience this weird black ice because they're not using the ring and they don't want to use the ring but they they took it to the i made it i put a a church of oral uh in Bryn shander and they took it to the church and they talked to one of the priestesses there, and she wouldn't take it. She said, no, you should keep it. If you found it, that's what's meant to be. Obviously, Oral has plans for you. And one of my PCs has a secret that makes them favored by oral so sh- mm. that player's like oh crap <laughs> like, this really sucks right so so when anyway when they go to termalane my plan is when they go into the mine there's a there's a big part in the mine that actually goes down into the underdark and they're going to start seeing evidence of torog's influence all over that area rather than just seeing some kobolds that were influenced by a grill. and i mean those 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 things will still probably be there but now the major influence is going to be torog So I'm making some pretty major changes, but it's all forming a cohesive set of here's things that's going on. And I'm not really I mean, I'm not really straying that far from the book. I'm just adding to it because my players are freaking wild, like they'll do the craziest stuff. And I'm I have to have a lot of things there to be able to throw back at them if they decide they want to go do something crazy but it needs to be cohesive right like it all ends up needing to have a point right it's kind of like what you were saying about about hex crawls like you don't just want to sit and do a hex crawl and do one two three four five things and then they don't matter or when you're talking about the avernus thing taking that pathway There's a theme (laughs) if the first four steps don't matter like it's sometimes it could feel very hollow right? right so I'm trying to make the relatively unconnected things going on in chapters one and two suddenly have these connections. Some of them have stronger connections than others, and you know that's just how it goes. Um, but so that's that's what I'm doing. Um, my game that I'm starting tomorrow night is going to be streamed on the Troller Games Twitch channel. It is a Castles and Crusades game. It's a very old school mm-hmm. game. There's no skill system. There's uh, you know lots of uh, very dangerous. Sort of combat and treasure hunting, and so that's that. So if you want to watch that, it's at 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays at uh, Twitch.tv/trollergames.
0: I say, but we shouldn't go too long because uh, Mike's got to ditch us in about four minutes. So. Right. Well, so that's
2: <laughs> I'm I'm basically done. So unless you have questions or you want to, I'm I need to write my next article for Rhyme of the Frostman.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: I'm going to be running this yeah. in a, a, probably a couple of months and I'll be yeah. grilling you for questions.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the major changes I made was travel times and the distances between the distances between the the 10 towns I didn't change, but I changed the travel times of the dogs and the axe beaks hmm. and and by foot so that it makes it more reasonable to travel between the 10 towns, but you can still make it difficult for them to go outside of that area because those are Unbroken trail. So mm-hmm.
0: no, very good. Yeah, no, I I, I highly encourage um, y- each of you to only play published adventures after both of the others of you have, have played it or done a deep dive. Like uh, you know, whether it's Curse of Strahd or Descent into Avernus, I oftentimes go to Slyflourish.com to be like, what did Mike do? Uh, you know, just to give me yeah. some ideas or what What was the struggle for him you know so it, it's great like always run published Adventures like three years later when all your friends have done it and written blogs yes. about it so you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: eventually like, we're all going to be you know waiting for everyone else to run it right? Right. Like, <laughs> no, exactly. no one will actually run it or like
0: Mike who's, who's, who's going to go it? yeah <laughs> right exactly right yeah. okay yep. I think that is uh, a good place to end the episode we're only like uh, an hour and 15 minutes into this uh, so right you know each of us got 15 minutes 15 plus 15 plus 15 is an hour and 15 uh so that is how math works now um that's all right new so, math. so yeah, it, it's 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 the way time works in 2020
2: uh, that's right yes <laughs> yes
0: for sure <laughs> yes so that's the end of behind the dm screen uh say goodbye guys
2: bye guys, bye, guys.